What's up, everyone? Shane Larson here from the Game Time Guru Podcast. Excited to be here with you for another interview here on the show. This is a recommendation from a former guest of mine, Eugene Campbell. So shout out to, to Eugene. If you guys want to go check out my interview with him, you can. Uh, awesome interview from him as well. So I just appreciate anybody who always, you know, like will, will do an introduction for me with, with another guest or potential guest. I always appreciate that. So I got to shout out Eugene uh, for getting me in contact with today's guest. Today's interview is so awesome. You guys are going to love this one. We're talking to a professional basketball player, but it's much more than that. He's a physical therapist. We're going to be talking about him going through you know, high school and collegiate athletics in Canada, um, the injuries he sustained, his favorite memories he, he had. He played multiple sports. He played football and basketball through college. And then he even went to grad school, went to physiotherapy school, played basketball, We'll talk, like I said, we'll talk about the injuries that he sustained and how he recovered from those mentally and physically. Um, we'll talk about the professional basketball world of things and the transitions and the life lessons that he's learned through those experiences and what's coming forward with him on his physical therapy side of it, like the, the, the side of things, because he's, that's his business. That is what he's planning on doing moving forward with everything. And it's been really cool to, to just hear his story. Right. So we also talk a little bit about the differences in culture from like Europe and North America when it comes to college and athletics and the stress that's put on. Like, there's some really deep combos here that I think are going to be very intriguing for you guys. Um, you're going to love our guest. He's awesome. Uh, I hope you guys buckle up, get ready, uh, and enjoy this one because this is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys know, my name is Shane Larson, host of the show. As we've been, you know, almost, we're closer to seven years than we were six and a half at this point, I think, or close to it anyway, but doing the show since 2017, and I really appreciate everybody tuning in. If this is your first time listening, I always I always welcome new listeners. Uh, we get new ones every week, so I just want to say welcome aboard. Hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you might be listening or watching this on. Um, and yeah, just follow along. We got interviews every single week where we interview sports figures. And as you guys heard in the introduction today, we're talking to a professional hooper who has a story that kind of translates into his professional career as well. Like uh, the other stuff that he's doing, um, just his story just plays right in, into it. And we're going to learn more about that. And actually full disclosure, I'm going to learn more about it. I did a little bit of diving into the history of our guests before we even start talking, but I don't know anything like in depth. So that's what I learned as you guys learn. And that's the whole point of doing these, these podcasts. It's really cool for me. So I just want to encourage everybody to hit the subscribe button. Like I said, and if you guys enjoy the interview, leave us a review on Apple podcasts. That's how we get it out to more people. That's how, that's how we got it out to 180 countries. All 50 States is because of people who have listened to it like you guys and have hit that subscribe button and have left us reviews. It helps push it out to more people. So without further ado, we're going to be joined by the wonderful Sean Stokwa, who is, uh, Going to be sharing his story with us. So, Sean, thanks so much for joining the show, brother. Hey, Shane, thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Happy to share my story. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, man. Now, cool thing is, is uh, we had to coordinate some times here. The time of this recording, it's a Saturday morning for me, but it's the evening for him. He's across the the globe. 
Uh, talk to us real quick, Sean. Where are you at right now at this particular point, um, and why are you there? <laughs> yeah, so about uh, 11 days ago, I just got to Bulgaria. I'm in a city called Botovgrad, which is about 45 minutes from Sofia, the capital. And I'm here. I'm working as a strength coach for the two-time defending champions. Um, Balkan uh, Botovgrad is the name of the team. And I'm also here competing for uh, another team that plays in the second division here in Bulgaria in Sofia. All right. So strength coach for one organization mm -hmm. playing for another organization. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I want I want to dive into that real quick because we'll go back. We'll, we'll unbox some things to try to see like where what got you to the point of professional mm -hmm. basketball and stuff. But I want to know about this. So in the, the corporate world, they'd say, well, is that a conflict of interest? But you did mention it's a different division and so forth. So how are you able yeah. to do the two uh, things like that, you know, helping one organization while you're playing for another? Yeah, so this is going to be my first year doing that specifically. So a uh, quick backstory in terms of how I got here. Last year, I was playing professionally in Germany. And I have an agent named Antonio Iliev, who's based in Bulgaria. And towards the end of my season last year in Germany, he reached out to me and said, hey, there might be an opportunity for you to be a strength coach for this team uh, in Botovgrad, who's looking to hire a strength coach for the end of their season when you're done in Germany. And I said, hey, that sounds like a great opportunity. You know, it would just be a couple month thing till the end of their season. And I had never worked as a strength coach for a team before. You know, I'm, I'm from Canada and I've worked as a strength coach and physical therapist in Canada for several years since I graduated university. But I wanted the opportunity to work with a professional basketball team because I'd never done it before and I'd never been to Bulgaria. So it sounded like a sounded like a cool chance. And I came over here, I guess it would have been April last year and stayed for a couple months. And then, you know, over the course of the summer, tried to tried to see what my best opportunity was going to be overseas this year. And I figured that uh, coming back over and, you know, continuing to work as the strength coach for this team while playing for a team in the second division here in Bulgaria close by could be a way that I could continue with both rather than just playing. For example, like the past couple of years I've played overseas and I've done some online physical therapy and personal training work, but not a whole lot in person. This is an opportunity for me to, to do more in person strength and conditioning while also continue my playing career at the same time. So I've always been kind of doing, uh, doing two things at once. That is pretty freaking cool. Actually, you get to do two things that you love doing. And I think that's super, super cool. So we'll get, into that a little bit um with well actually while we're on the topic i know it's only been about two weeks not even yet mm -hmm. since you've been there but have you had a chance to be working with the team as a as a strength coach already like are you working with them already as you've been there yeah so i should clarify i'm actually the strength coach for all the teams that are operating under the club so a lot of different uh european basketball clubs will have you know a first team that operates the professional level and then they'll have say a, a second team or under 19 team or an under 16 team all the way down to even U14 or U12 or whatever it is. So the, uh, the club here is awesome, man. They, they do a great job developing with younger teams. I think they, they might go down all the way to, to even 12 years old, but you know, I'm responsible for overseeing the strength and conditioning for their first team, their second team, their U19 team and their U16 team. So I've got a chance to work with those teams a little bit, or at least the players who are here so far, all the, all the players and especially the imports from, from North America are going to be arriving this week. So we'll kind of officially get started with, uh, with kind of team events and, and team sessions this coming week, but I've got a chance to, uh, to kind of, and I, and I already know a lot of the guys, um, especially the Bulgarians who, who were here last year, a lot of them are returning. So I've got a chance to, to get some working with them, do some physical testing with them to see where they're at, see if there's any imbalances that we need to work on and things like that. But, uh, 
but yeah, mostly just kind of easing into things and, and doing some testing for the last week or two. Man, that's cool. Like you get a chance to work with a lot of different age groups, different, you know, levels and so forth. Like that's, that's actually really, really cool. Um, I guess my question for you, having been able to even playing professionally now, and you kind of see the different parts of the world. Um, I have a question from like, let's just talk about North America. You're from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but like even the United States, Canada, I always have thought that there was like just a difference in physicality, uh, as far as like traditional strength training and so forth. I could be wrong. I guess my question is, what do you see different over overseas as you would over in North America in regards to strength? Are they, do they, I don't know. I just feel like we, we focus so much on it as we're younger here that like we just, the bigger, stronger, faster athletes. Is that true? Or is that just because I'm biased and I'm from here? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. And um, I would say Bulgaria has a unique history where, you know, Bulgarian weightlifting at least in, in terms of the Olympic weightlifting and, and things like that has a, has a very strong history. So they're, they're probably a little bit different. And some of these Eastern Balkan countries are a little bit different than the rest of Europe, but generally speaking, I'd say from what I've seen so far, specifically with this program, it's, they're very heavy on the basketball and the skill work and, and they do certainly weight train, but, uh, but I would say, and, and, and it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to tease out that, if their if their results in terms of their strength training in terms of how their bodies are are from the training that they've done or the training they haven't done versus you know just genetically what they're working with compared to the the athletes in in north america like certainly you know there's more freaks more genetic freaks in in north america than i've seen in europe um for whatever reason and and like i said i'm not convinced that's necessarily a result of the training rather than just the gene pool for example but um but I mean, yeah, Bulgaria has a rich history of weightlifting, and uh, but I would say the thing I've noticed the most since I've been here is that they're they're very heavy on on the basketball, like putting in two two sessions a day, even throughout the off season sometimes. And a lot of these kids play on the national team in Bulgaria as well that I'm working with here, which is a cool opportunity to work with some of the top players in the country also. And I would say one aspect that can potentially limit their athleticism though is a little bit too much basketball. Like if you're running all day every day you know twice a day sessions on the court um it's difficult to kind of get those calories back it's difficult to stay in a calorie surplus and and build that muscle that you need to get more athletic so i think that can be sometimes something that north america does a little bit i don't want to say better but a little bit different where maybe these kids are playing two sports you know maybe they they transition to football in the off season kind of like i did when i was in in university i played football as well and and that really changed my training in the off season, gave me a chance to get bigger and stronger. And then when I came back to basketball, you know, it was, it was a little bit different. I could reap those benefits. So it's, uh, it's different from that perspective. I feel like in North America where people will may, may maybe take a little time off and they don't play as much, although some kids do with AU. So it's all specific to, uh, to the kid almost. It's, it's hard to tease out those differences in the culture sometimes. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. I love like hearing just the differences in culture differences, how people run things but it's the same sport it's so cool um going back let's um, unbox some things here so sean for you from canada um what part of canada are you from first off i'm from ottawa capital okay awesome i got a lot of friends from uh alberta but like it's funny because we're i'm from idaho if you're familiar where that's at but like yeah yeah i've been been to Boise actually i uh oh really I went down to Boise to train uh, Kevin Pangos for a couple weeks, uh, a couple summers ago. No kidding. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's crazy. He, he's, yeah, an old, that's 
he's an old teammate of mine from uh, from back in the day. Like we played on Team Ontario together when I was 15 and 16 years old. And then yeah, uh, later in his career, I was I was helping him re- recover from from an injury he had back when he was in uh, back when he was in Russia, and uh, came down the summer before he joined the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, it's wild, man. What a small world, huh? Yeah, that's where I'm from. I'm a Boise State alum. That's born and raised here in Boise, Idaho. Nice. I got I got a lot of people up in Canada, but I want to I want to talk um, about Canada sports. Uh, what at what point did you pick up a basketball? You mentioned you're a dual sport athlete. I mean, you played football as well, but like at mm-hmm. what point did you pick up a basketball um, growing up? Was it when you were really really young? Yeah, so probably when I was seven or eight years old, I started playing basketball. And it was my dad who originally got me into basketball. He played in college and he, he went to one of the training camps with the national team back in the day. So he was a pretty good player. And he got, I have an older sister who's two years older. So he got my sister and myself into basketball when we were, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, started playing on a competitive team and, and just kind of never looked back from there. Although that being said, I wasn't necessarily tunnel vision on basketball from that age on. Like it was, it was something I enjoyed, but, uh, but I definitely dove into other sports like any Canadian kid like hockey was my priority when I was when I was younger I played that was probably my main sport until about the seventh grade and then that's after that I started focusing on basketball that's when about the time when you know people started ranking kids and their classes and stuff like that so once you get hit with like a certain ranking sometimes you get that pressure to just focus on that sport so I think that's kind of what happened to me in in grade seven in Ottawa okay okay um so what what university did you end up going to so I went to Acadia University in Nova Scotia on the East Coast of Canada. We got a lot of a lot of cool universities on the East Coast there in Nova Scotia. And I went there for, for five years or four and a half years, I guess, and played uh, played two sports. I played basketball and football there for four years and then went back for an extra semester just to finish school before I started graduate school um, in my hometown at the University of Ottawa for physiotherapy. Wow. Okay. So that's another thing. Um, Canadian athletics in college uh compared to that of the united states it sometimes it can be so you were playing two sports at university mm-hmm. um that's that's it's not very common it, it happens from time to time around here yeah. but um it's not very common so i want to talk about that experience for you like how were you able to juggle both of those yeah so that was that was an interesting uh it was a great experience man great experience playing two sports in university very interesting i think basically what, what happened is i was a uh, I was a, a pretty good basketball player coming out of high school. I think I was ranked top 10 in terms of uh, point guards coming out of Canada in my class. And then I was pretty much unrecruited for football. Like I wasn't recruited from by any universities. I played a couple years of high school football and I was okay. You know, I wasn't great, but, uh, but what happened is the, the basketball coach at the university who was recruiting me at the time, he, he's the one who brought up the idea of potentially playing football as well, because they had another guy at the time who was also doing it. And I think in his mind, he was uh, he wasn't really thinking that I was going to either a make the team or b continue to play, you know, year after year. I think he was trying to kind of use it as a way to to recruit me away from the local universities in Ottawa, you know, in terms of Carleton and Ottawa U, which are, you know, two of the top programs in the country. They've been, uh, you know, top five for the last decade in terms of uh, basketball programs. So I think he was thinking, hey, let's let's get let's get Sean over here and let him try out for the football team. Maybe he plays for a year and then, and then, you know, switches over and just does basketball only. But, uh, but when I came over, I, I did a little bit better than even I anticipated right away. So I ended up uh, really enjoying it and and doing pretty well and, and sticking it out for, 
for four years and ended up going to the CFL combine after my fourth year and uh, eventually decided to, to stick with basketball, but had an awesome experience. Like just the, just the, uh, the challenge of playing two sports was what was really enticing to me where I wasn't necessarily sure that I could do it. Um, so I should mention my father did it as well. My father, like I said, he played oh, wow. basketball in university, but he also played football and then he, he ended up going professionally in football. And I knew going into university, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. And I had seen other guys who had gone professionally and played basketball in Europe from Ottawa. And I, I was honestly pretty confident that I could do that. But I wasn't really sure about the football side of things. And, and that kind of excited me. So I was like, hey, let me see, um, you know, if I'm able to pull this off with two sports. And I figured it'd be a much more rich experience in terms of just challenges. And, and I knew I'd, I would have to grow in terms of my character and in terms of my habits and things like that, if I was to be a successful two-sport athlete, and that that growth really was uh, was enticing to me as well. That's so cool. I love that you were challenging yourself, man. That's super, super cool. Um, my question here then would be: I mean, when I ask athletes this, it's usually a it's they have similar answers, but they're not usually dual-sport athletes in university or college or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it might be different for you. But what was the biggest transition going from your high school uh, to the collegiate? realm of athletics i guess specifically basketball but i mean with you playing football too it's there's probably a huge transition was it academics was it physicality what was the biggest thing you had to transition to like being like whoa okay it's a little different with this game than it was in high school yeah so i don't think the the transition in basketball was was too significant because i had already been scrimmaging and, and practicing with university players um, at Carlton and Ottawa U in high school in Ottawa. So I'd already had a taste of that, but the, the whole football, whole football world was something different. You know, I had, yeah. I had definitely tried to prepare myself physically just by, by lifting weights and, and trying to be physically prepared for, uh, for what was to come. So I remember asking, like, I didn't have much communication at all with the football coaches at all before I came out. Like, I remember this is how unrecruited I was. I remember I committed to the school um, and I had told the football coach that I was coming but maybe it didn't make it through the grapevine. So I think they had one of the assistant coaches and one of the recruiters give me a call like a month or two later to kind of check in and see like if I was coming to play football or whatever. And I was like, yeah, dude, I committed like two months ago, like I'm coming, you know? And, um, and I had the basketball coach tell me the, the, the kind of weight room numbers that the defensive backs on the team were lifting in terms of their squat, deadlift, power clean and stuff like that. So I remember like the whole summer, or I, I committed fairly early in terms of probably about November, before, you know, we start school the following September or August. So I had been uh, working on my body that whole time. And I remember probably the fall that I arrived in, uh, in my freshman year, straight out of high school, I think I power cleaned like 242, which was, which was pretty good for an 18 year old, like coming out of high school. So physically I felt, I felt relatively prepared and, but psychologically there was a big, a big uh, transition or a big, you know, period of growth that I had to go through both from in terms of just dealing with bigger, stronger guys in the football field, the skill of playing defensive back was something that I had not acquired. The IQ, the football IQ was probably the biggest thing. So I got a good story about that where, you know, my first year I did pretty well in training camp, but I was getting by just off instincts almost, you know, like watching the quarterback's eyes, kind of like you'd watch a point guard's eyes and try to jump passes and pick off passes that way. But, uh, by the time I got to the regular season, right, I'm, I'm dressing games, but I'm not playing in games, right, because the defensive backs ahead of me are, are just better. And one of the guys, one of the corners, I'm playing corner my first year, one of the corners got hurt one game. So I have to go in and, you know, replace them for the remainder of this game. And 
actually got an interception that game too, right? So from the outside looking in, you're like, wow, Sean did great, you know? And and I didn't get beat on any passes, you know, like didn't miss a ton of tackles. And but what happened is, you know, you watch the film the day after the game, right? And watching the film, you know, we're going through and we're saying, okay, we're in, you know, cover three. And it's like, Sean, why, why are you here in cover three? Or it's like, okay, now we're playing match coverage. And it's like, Sean, what are you doing here in match coverage? So it, after watching the film, even though it might have looked good from the outside looking in and my stats were okay, or I didn't give up any big plays. It was really obvious. Like I had no idea what was actually going on in terms of, you know, the coverages and, and things like that. So I was right back on the bench the next game, you know, even though I had done a good job but since I came in, like I didn't play again for the rest of the season. And, and I didn't deserve to, you know what I mean? Like my football IQ was just not there. So that for me was definitely the biggest transition. And I had two great coaches. So Sean Hall, who's an awesome defensive back coach and Elliot Richardson, who was a, an awesome strength conditioning. And, and he helped out with uh, the DB stuff as well. My first year, those guys taught me so much over the course of that first year that that really helped me actually figure out a little bit of what was going on for the, the following years. You know, it's interesting you say that Sean, because when I've talked to like football players specifically, they talk about the importance of like watching film because in college they usually have to like do it's more like there's just more coverages there's more assignments that you need to be in it and it's almost exactly what you just said as far as like they can't get away with that as much anymore with just being a freak athlete or just understanding where to go so they have to like they watch film a lot however i want to kind of piggyback off that topic and say how did that did it or did that help you in your basketball world too? Cause you were already really, you said the transition wasn't as hard for basketball going from a high school to the collegiate realm, but mm -hmm. did you learn things from the football field as far as like watching film and understanding like oh, yeah. those little intricacies that you could translate to the basketball court? Yeah, absolutely. So def we had something called the defensive scouting report that was due the Thursday before our Thursday practice, before our Saturday games, where we'd have to outline, okay, here's, Here's the most common formations that the other team's running. Here are their top three receivers. Here are the routes they like to run. Here's where the QB likes to throw most of the time. So it was like, you're, you got pretty good at pattern recognition. And something that I, I did as well, that was a bit kind of over the top is I just watched the previous game and I'd watch, you know, say I was the strong side corner. I'd watch the strong side wide receivers or all the different receivers on the strong side. And I'd, I'd write down their splits like, hey, hey, this guy's on the hash. He's running a go. This guy's here and, and try to tease out the patterns based on their previous game. And, and then I'd go to the field and I'd kind of walk through, you know, in my head, those actual patterns and, and picture myself, you know, intercepting the passes and stuff like that. Cause something I noticed with football is there's a lot more pressure as a defensive back, like in basketball, one mistake isn't that big a deal. Worst case scenario, it's two points, you know, but as a defensive back, you make a mistake, that's, that's a potential touchdown and that's a game changing play. So there's a lot more pressure and a little bit more anxiety that I had to learn how to deal with. So that was definitely something that was helpful for football. And then when it came to basketball, I just took that same kind of film habit and would watch the previous team's game, watch the other team's point guard, figure out maybe his top two or three moves. And then I'd be able to kind of sit on those moves when it came game time and maybe get a steal or draw a charge or something like that, which certainly wasn't something I was doing in high school, you know, but something that I took from, from the film study and football and took it over to basketball. And it definitely made me a better defender. hundred percent. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. Do you have a favorite memory from either sport or I should say, let's say both sports. Give me a memory from college, from basketball as well. So I should say university from, from basketball as well as football. Yeah. So my first year we, we came in and uh, I was lucky enough to be on, you know, basketball and football teams where we won two conference championships my first year 
um, as a rookie. And, um, and then we won the football my next year as well. So I was able to win three in a row. And, uh, and that second year as well, I was able to, uh, to make two national semifinals. So I was able, lucky enough to start, you know, at, at cornerback in, in the national semifinal in football and then at point guard um, basketball in the same year. So that was a pretty special year. Those first two years were pretty special for me and, and for my teammates as well with, with all the team success we had. And then later on, when I went to the University of Ottawa, we, uh, there's a game every year where we play against Carleton. It's called Capital Hoops. And pretty much the whole city comes out to watch. You get probably like nine, 10,000 fans. We change venues so that we can fit that many fans at the game. And, and we ended up beating, uh, beating Carleton my last year um, in the Capital Hoops game, which is, which is pretty special for me for sure. That's so cool, man. Hey, uh, before you get to the professional world, I want to know, like, uh, was there any teammate or coach that, I mean, you mentioned your football coaches that, that stood out to you as well, but on the basketball court, were there any coaches or teammates that's like, if you could choose one that like showed you something very important, like a life lesson that you learned, uh, who would it be? And what did they teach you? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, man, I don't, so one guy that comes to mind is just Brett Backman. So Brett Backman was the halfback who, uh, well, at the time he was actually, as I mentioned earlier, when I got to play my first year in football, he was the corner who got hurt, who I got to replace one game. And that whole first year in film study, he, he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm his, I'm his backup. Right. So there's inter squad competition, right. On any team. And the guy behind you is also like trying to take your job in a lot of ways in football. Right. But, you know, Brett was teaching me so much about mistakes I was making um, and how to get better, even though I was his backup, you know, and, and I always appreciated that because that's not something he had to do. And it just so happened to, to turn out that the next year, you know, we were playing alongside each other. He moved to halfback while I became the starting corner. So we played alongside each other for that whole year. And, and really held it down, you know, it didn't give up a whole lot of passes or any touchdowns that I can remember. And then the uh, the following year, I broke my ankle, dislocated my ankle, and he stepped up and had a great year, was a first team All-Canadian. And then my last year, I came back and played safety while he was still at half. So we we're again playing alongside each other. So I just remember, I just remember going to battle with Brett, um, you know, every game and spending a lot of time with him at practice and, and, and just watching him battle through injuries and play through injuries. Like one year he played with a broken wrist. Um, and I remember one game too, I, uh, I hit my hand on someone's helmet and I took my glove off to look at my hand and he goes, yo, what are you doing? Like never let the opponent know that you're hurt or never let them see that you're hurt. And, and that was something that, that kind of stuck with me, whether that was, you know, physically or even emotionally, it's just like, Hey, you got to control your body language. Um, and and just those, the, yeah, those times with Brett, man, we're, we're good buddies to this day. And uh, there's just a little something more about, you know, going to battle with your football teammates where you're putting your body on the line. It's, it's not quite the same with basketball. And that's not to say I don't have great relationships with a lot of my, uh, my basketball teammates because, because that's not the case. But, but football was just a different level of, of going to battle with your bros a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> that's cool. You know, it's interesting. You talk about him being willing to share that information and, um, when I interviewed Jerry Stackhouse, who was a former NBA basketball player on the show, he, he was talking to me about like giving like the rookies and some of these new, new guys information when he was a veteran in the league. And mm -hmm. I asked him a similar question because it kind of got into that topic of like, were you ever worried they were going to take your spot? 
And he always said, he, well, he said, he goes, well, I didn't have a problem giving them secrets because they can't do what I can do anyway. That's what he said. So he's like, I just had ultra confidence in my ability. So if you just work hard enough, you don't have a problem sharing the secrets because you know they can't beat you at it anyway, even if they know everything. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I've always taken that to like, as you yeah, learn, man. you progress, you continue to have confidence, you share it with people and you you mm -hmm. grow together. Um, yeah. And whatnot. And so if I could add one more thing to uh, to your point there. So my last year when I played free safety, you know, I'm I'm just at school finishing up my degree and a guy named Brandon Jennings is my successor at safety and he's having a great year. I think he has, you know, more. I think he might have been an all Canadian that year or the following year. But I remember having a conversation with him where he came up to me and he's like, oh, yeah, I got I got more interceptions than you already or whatever. Like and and then I was like, but does that make you a better football player? You know, and my, my point was that the goal of any team sport is to win. Um, is to win the game. So whether you're a football player or a basketball player, there's so many different facets of the game that you can contribute to to win the game. So I remember, you know, talking to Brandon about the fact that I would block a lot of punts and that those, that's not a defensive back play, but that's a play that'll completely change the game. Like there's stats, like if, if a team blocks a punt, they're more likely to win the game, something like that. So I remember Brandon taking that to heart and he, he became the team punter and he became the team kicker and he was the starting free safety. So now he had just complete control over the game. You know what I'm saying? Like he, like there's way more yard exchange on a punt compared to an average offensive or defensive play. So now this guy just completely would take over the game. And uh, I think he led them to a championship uh, at least one. So I was pretty proud to for, you know, my successor to be better than I was in every way. Not only at, you know, at free safety, but then also take matters into his own hands and other aspects of the game and just be a better leader overall in terms of, you know, hosting like defensive back dinners and things like that. Like it was, it was awesome to see, man. And I was, I was happy that, you know, I could maybe have shared a thing or two that would, that would help him be a better leader and contribute to the team's success. Yeah, dude, that speaks to your leadership. I think that's a freaking sweet story that m many athletes that are younger can probably take, take a note on that of how, you know, you can impact somebody like that. That's actually really cool. You know, you mentioned, Sean, that you had broken your ankle um, mm. and you talk, injuries are kind of part of your story. And that's what I want to kind of get into as well as before we get into the professional basketball world of things. I Injuries uh, up until that point, had you experienced any injuries yet? Because I want to talk about the psychological factor, not just the physical issue of an mm. injury, but like psychologically what it does to an athlete. So yep. uh, I guess at that time, had you had, was that your first injury and, and whatnot or like? Yeah, what that was my first significant injury significant one like I had little little things like uh I think I had a groin tear in the ninth grade you know sprained ankles but uh but nothing nothing that kept me out too too long I had a an injury playing football in the 11th grade that was a low back injury that was pretty significant it kept me out a couple months but yeah my my junior year my third year at Acadia in, in football practice I fractured and dislocated my ankle in practice it was pretty obvious the ankle was like facing the other direction so you know, I went to, uh, went to the hospital. By the time I got to the hospital, my ankle was the size of like a watermelon and, uh, had surgery the next day, had major reconstructive surgery, had a foot of metal put on my fibula. I had a spiral fracture of the fibula that needed to be, you know, restabilized. And then I had a, another screw put through the middle of the ankle. And then I had the medial ligaments of my ankle stitched back together as well. And you don't see that injury very often in basketball. It's mostly a, mostly a football injury. And, that took me, that kept me out the whole year and it took me about a year to recover. And yeah, I mean, the psychological aspect of that was tough. I definitely had like nightmares where 
I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Like I remember one specifically where I was driving, I was in the passenger seat of a car and the car crashed. And I remember looking and my ankle was, was broken again, dislocated like the same way I had been hurt. You know what I mean? So that's something that, uh, that you kind of have to deal with and, uh, and just, you know, gradual exposure, I think is, is the best way to overcome any sort of fear like that is, is just, you know, slowly reincorporating your, yourself into the thing that you're afraid of. And, um, and yeah, later on after I was, you know, that rehab process went really well. I didn't have any, any hiccups in terms of that and, and re-injuries there. And then five years later, when I was playing basketball at physiotherapy school in that same capital hoops game, I was telling you about not the game we won, but a couple years earlier, I tore my ACL, you know, going for a layup with about a minute left. And, uh, and yeah, I kind of knew right away that something I didn't know exactly if it was my ACL, but I, I was like, "Ooh, that that felt a lot different than any other injury I've had." So I had a feeling something was up. And psychologically, that one was almost a little bit trickier to come back from because, as a basketball player, you go for a layup like how many times, right? You go for so yeah. many layups, so it's like every time I almost wish I had gotten hurt doing something else because, you know, your brain your brain is really good at. Uh, at protecting yourself and and just trying to keep you alive, trying to make sure you're not going to get hurt again. Right. So it's like, it doesn't want that re-exposure to that same movement that you hurt yourself. So I kind of had to retrain my brain to, to feel comfortable with, with the exposure to that movement again. And even, even to this day, like I remember in Germany last year, um, sometimes when, when symptoms will creep up in my knee, it affects me psychologically. I remember in my head in warm up uh, this past season, even thinking about tearing my ACL going up for layups and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, yo, what am I doing? Like, I'm a lot more present now. That's something that the injuries have taught me is, is I'm able to catch my mind when it wanders off into the future and starts to think anxious thoughts. I just bring myself back into the present, but I'll still catch my mind wandering off into the future, trying to protect myself from re-injury. Yeah, see, that's so interesting. But you that you just kind of answered my next question is like, how do you kind of get through that? Because I, I coach high school basketball. I coach, well, it's club basketball. I coach AAU, but um, mm-hmm. it's usually a 16, 17 year old age group. And you know, a lot of these athletes are trying to get college scholarships and they might experience an injury and they, they struggle to come back um, because it's a, it's a process. You mentioned with the ACL, that's nine to nine to 12 months, typically speaking with an ankle, it took you a year. I mean, and that was a football injury. It translates to the basketball court. I can even say, Sean, for me, like I'm 35 on Monday, I'll be 35. So like I'm 34, but um, when I tore my shoulder out in 2016, I was just playing like I was lifting weights, but like I wasn't, I'm far past my prime of basketball, but like, you know, I still compete in city leagues and do all the, the old man leagues and stuff. And yeah, even yeah. then that took six months to recover from my shoulder. And I, I'm still to this day scared to grab, uh, put my hand up, my left arm up to even def- deflect a pass, grab a layup or sorry, grab mm-hmm. a rebound, anything to put my arm out. I won't swat down on a ball anymore when someone's going up because it will, you know, if they, if they're strong enough, they'll pull my shoulder up and it slides out and I get, it just right. makes me sick. So like mm-hmm. it's psychologically, I'm not the same player. I still, I'm, I'm not nearly as physical and people tell me it all the time. They're like, man, you used to be a dog. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like scared to put my arm out there anymore. So I guess my question, because you said you're more present now, but how does an athlete who experiences an injury, I don't think people understand it though, Sean, unless they have experienced an injury. Like we see people get injured, but they don't understand why like Derek Rose could never fully come back to the same explosive player that he was physically, he probably was fine, but he never could get back to that full, like he was hesitant and he always had been, and he's still playing, which is great. But like a lot of these players never get back to that full style player because they're scared. It's like something is in their head because they don't want it to mess up. So 
besides, I guess, being present, if there is anything else, do you have any advice for athletes that are going through injuries and to help them get back to, you know, being like, okay, well, like, let's play the same way we were playing before. Yeah. So I think if you can get some objective measures and reclaim those objective measures, for example, say you tear your ACL and you never get your quad as strong as the, as, as it was previous to the injury, it's like, you can't trick your mind to, to think that your quad is as big as as strong. Cause every time you look, you see, okay, it's not as big as strong. So naturally your mind goes, okay, shit, quads, not as big as strong legs, not as strong. I could get hurt again. But if you can take care of those objective measures, say, you know, you get your muscle mass back to the same as what it was. You get your vertical jump back to the same as what it was. You get your speed back. Then you can kind of start to overtake your mind and say, okay, I have all these objective measures as evidence to say that I'm the same athlete that I was. So what's the problem? You know what I mean? But if you're not able to get those objective measures back to what they were, then it's kind of hard to trick your mind otherwise, because I mean, your mind has a point. It's like, Hey, we're, we're not the same. Like we, we got hurt at this level and we haven't recovered to that level. So we're still at risk of injury. You know what I'm saying? So it's, if you can get some objective measures, whether that's strength things or whether that's jumping plyometric speed things, I think those can be really useful to help put your mind at ease and say, Hey, look, you know, we're as good as we were, if not better. So why am I anxious about this? And I think another thing too, is to consider the evolutionary psychology behind just how our brains are wired, whether it's an injury or not, but the negativity bias that our brains have where, you know, a negative experience is like Velcro for our brain, where a positive one kind of just, the positive ones kind of slip away. So, you know, our brain, it's, our brain's job is, isn't like to, isn't to keep us happy. It's, it's to keep us alive. Right. So naturally, when these negative thoughts do creep up or when these thoughts of re-injury do creep up, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Honestly, when I think about it, I think it's a reflection that our brain is, is working well. Our brain is doing its job, trying to keep us alive, trying to prevent us from getting hurt again. So I think understanding that that's how our brain is wired evolutionarily to, to avoid these re-injuries and to almost just be grateful for it. Just be like, Hey, like acknowledge it. Say, hey, thanks, brain. I understand that you're just trying to protect me, but hey, we're safe here. You know what I mean? Like, even if you were to undergo another significant injury, it's just a surgery away and maybe a year away from you being back to where you were. Like, it's not life or death. So sometimes just working through this stuff mentally um, is is helpful as well. That's see, you know what you're talking about, man. That's and I'm I'm grateful. I hope that the people listening to this, I have a lot of athletes that I coach that that tune into the show. And I'm going to encourage them to listen to this one anyway, because you're a hooper and I and coach basketball. I would encourage you guys to listen to this and take note, rewind that and listen to what Sean just said again. Like if you have to like train your brain or like train yourself to acknowledge your brain, like what it's doing and what it's supposed to be doing so that it's not like an alert. I like that. Like just understand how your brain works. If you just understand it, then you can mm. like understand. Okay. That's not okay. I get it. Thank you. But we're all right here. Da, 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 da. You move yeah. Forward. Like you might be fully recovered. You might, you might, your, your, your joint might be completely healed. You might have all the objective measures that you need and your brain is still going to send you that message that you're not okay. And you just need to understand that, Hey, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's just my brain's evolutionary wiring to try to survive and keep me alive, but that's not necessarily the case. Super cool, man. You know, one thing, part of your story that I, I want to touch base on when, before you go play professionally, you mentioned mm -hmm. grad school, you went mm -hmm. to physiotherapy school, right? Physio phys yep. Physiotherapy school, right? Is that what yep. I'm saying? Okay. Um, so I guess I, I don't know if that's necessarily a non-traditional route to getting to professional basketball, but usually, sure. um, guys who go and play professionally, 
they're either leaving school early or it's right after they finish their undergrad and they'll mm-hmm. go play professionally for a certain amount of years or whatever. They typically don't go to grad school and then that they usually do finish up grad school if they are done playing hoops or something. That's from my yeah. experience talking to people. So I guess, did you think that after, you know, finishing undergrad and stuff um, that did, did, did you think that you were still going to go play professional basketball at some point? Or did you say, Hey, yeah, yeah. You know, well, let's, let's change career paths. I'm going to go and do grad school and we'll see. What yeah. So yeah. Funny, uh, funny story for sure. So when I left Acadia, I, my goal was still to prefer, to pursue professional professional basketball. You know, I, I understood I wanted to go to grad school because I when I left Acadia, when I broke my ankle my third year, I got that year of eligibility back. So when I left, I had still had two years of eligibility. And you know, my dad, like I said, my dad played professional sports for six years, and you know, he was him him and my mom were great about just being in my ear about making sure that I had a career that I enjoyed. When I was, whenever I was done pursuing sports, because you know that day was going to come to that, that was going to come to an end eventually, right? So that was something I definitely had in mind. That being said, my choice to go to Ottawa U was pretty much based strictly on where the best opportunity for me to pursue professional basketball was. As I mentioned, one of the top programs in the country, Coach James Durin, who's the head coach of the Ottawa Blackjacks professional team in Ottawa now as well, had been had been there and I had a relationship with him, and he had been producing good professionals already. So. It was in my hometown and it was just the best option for me at that point. So the only, that was the only physiotherapy school I applied to was the university of Ottawa. While I also applied to a master's in human kinetics. So if I didn't get into physio there, I was going to Ottawa U regardless, um, you know, to pursue professional basketball. And, and I know my physiotherapy classmates got a kick out of that because, you know, we talk about, Hey, like what other schools did you apply to? And, you know, they would may, maybe apply to like every single physio school in Canada. Meanwhile, I was here and I was like, yeah, I just applied to this one. <laughs> like, if I didn't get in, I was coming here anyway. So it was kind of funny. And, um, and yeah, so it was very difficult, honestly, to, uh, to do both the physio and the basketball thing, where my physiotherapy school wasn't French, and French definitely isn't my first language. So that threw an extra twist into it. So shout out, shout out to my boys and, the phys- and a couple of the girl classmates as well in my physio class for pulling me through that, because that was difficult. But uh but my first, towards the end of my first year, and, and a testament to how difficult it was, is I didn't even make it through a year of physio school. Like I tore my ACL at the end of my first year of physio school. And a big reason for that is just the accumulation of stress that school can put on you. Um, and we see this with, you know, rises in injury rates during exam periods on all colleges, whether it's Canada or the States. And in grad school, that's just compounded. It's like you have an exam two exams like every week so it's like you're just under constant stress and and that was definitely one of the many contributing factors to my ACL tear and then the following year I basically was was out the whole year and I was able to focus more on my school and more on my placements and I think in hindsight that would have been very difficult to complete if I was still playing and on road trips with the team and missing days of placements and stuff like that Um, like for example I'm the only physiotherapist from Canada I think who's played professional basketball are currently playing for sure. Um, because, because it's just like, I don't know if it's doable to do both without my injury happening or without a coach who's willing to embrace you doing both. And I think it's, it's really tricky. Um, so yeah, I was grateful for, you know, Jimmy giving me the opportunity to, to kind of be flexible with me in terms of missing stuff and, and going to class and things like that. I remember like one game I had to, I had to had to do an exam the Friday morning and then drive up with 
our our skills coach and play that night like the team had gone off the day before like stuff like that so um yeah it was it was quite the experience but uh but certainly some things i learned in the classroom made me a lot better um you know as an athlete and but there were some things that i just had to uh i had to work around like for example in physiotherapy school you have six hours of class every day and then you have a ton of studying to do afterwards so when i tore my acl I remember one of the main things you want to do when you have ACL surgery or following ACL surgery is you need to reestablish full knee extension, get your knee straight as possible or as straight as the other knee. So I remember just asking my teachers or profs, I said, Hey, is it okay if I sit on the floor at the back of class and, you know, straighten out my leg and work on these different positions on the floor to maintain my hip internal rotation and my hip mobility, because I just couldn't sit in a chair for up for 10 hours a day. Like I wasn't going to have a good physical outcome. In that case, I didn't think so. I had to think outside the box and, and kind of look at my current circumstances and say, hey, how can I manipulate these circumstances to get the physical outcome that I need, you know? Dude, and you did it, though. That's what's so cool. As you, you figured it out. But, um, man, you brought up so many good points right here that, like, I'm sitting here taking notes. Uh, sometimes when I'm like, if you see me on my phone, that's because I'm taking notes of what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So one of the things I, I wrote down here was the stress. You just talked about stress during exam periods. I don't think anybody talks about that. I think that's a huge point. So that I, I want other people to rewind that and take note of that. Um, and that's a talking point down here in the States, Sean, I, I'm sure you've heard of it, but like there's conference realignment in college sports going on right now. And there's a big talk about like some of the schools on the West coast of the United States that are now going to be in the big 10 conference, which is one of our conferences. And so like mm -hmm. university of Southern California. So USC can be playing Rutgers in New York, which is a 3,500 mile trip, you know, 33,000 right. miles across the country. And like, you know, they were talking about the stress for athletes, especially those who were playing like basketball, softball, soccer, those types of things. They fly there on a Wednesday night, play, fly yeah. back, and they got a test in the morning. They still have academic requirements to get to school in the morning yeah. at eight yeah, o'clock. And and it's like it's going to cause a lot of hiccups. People people are just looking at it from a financial aspect on how mm -hmm. good it's going to be financially for sports, especially college football in America, right. which is huge. But they're yeah. not looking at the mental health factor and the stress and the physical health factor for these athletes that are playing the non-revenue generating sports, like everything but football, basically. So I, I kind of thought that was interesting that you just said that because um, that's a huge, just like the, just being a student athlete in a high stress environment like that, like it, it's, it's taxing on you and it can yeah, have something. To do 100%. With your and that's, that's something, that's one of the biggest differences too, that I can say I've noticed between Europe and North America is like this, the school system, the university or college system, whether it's, you know, in the United States or in Canada, like it's a lot, whether it's grad school or whether it's undergrad, the, what we ask of, you know, kids who are 18 to 25 is a lot. And I don't think the kids here in Europe are being asked to do that much from a, from a school perspective at the same time as their sports. And I think we see the results in terms of mental health, um, you know, being better over here, generally speaking, less medications, things like that compared to in North America, where it's a bit of a shit show, honestly. So I think, you know, we, it's kind of all we know in North America, especially when you get to university, you're like, okay, this is it. This is what, you know, all the people I know who are older than me did. This is what all my friends are doing. But like, I got over here in Europe and I was like, okay, this is not, this is not how it needs to be. You know, this is not how they do it here. Um, so like, like some of these kids who are 20 years old playing professional basketball, like they don't even, they're not even in school. Yeah. Like super chill, super chill. Whereas like 
you're in Canada, you're in university, you have the same basketball load, but all of a sudden now you have a ton more school load on top of that. And it's, it's just, uh, it's just eye-opening to see that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily how it is everywhere, how it is in North America. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I, and, and I, sometimes I have an opinion. Well, I, I always have an opinion on things, but people will say, well, you weren't there. So you're not part of it. At least someone like yourself, who's kind of been in the, 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 the middle of things can kind of speak to that. I've always just wondered, like, I, I don't know, it's a system that we have. Uh, you go to high school, you go to college, you kind of, you have to go to college to play at the next level. Typically speaking, you know, they're making adjustments about that, but it's like a, it's part of the system. And Cardale yeah. Jones, he was a quarterback for Ohio state football. He said, I didn't come here to play school. And I, I fully believe that. I'm like, why are yeah, they yeah. forced no, to do I'm that? Glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I was talking to a guy who's about my age. So I just turned 30. He was 31. He's from Bulgaria. He said when he was 23, he moved to Germany to play professional basketball. And he's only been playing basketball for the last seven or eight years. And, you know, as a 20-year-old in Canada, I know so many guys who would die for the opportunity to have that lifestyle. Like guys who would love to just at 20 years old, go pro and only play basketball for the next decade of their life, regardless of really how much money they're making, even if it's not a ton of money, you know what I'm saying? But in Canada and even in the States, you know, we're forced to go through the university system. We have to be one of the best players on our university team to get a look to go professionally. So it's just uh, sometimes I'm jealous of the guys um, living in Europe because they they almost have an easier route to, to live the lifestyle of a professional basketball player. Oh, man, that's a whole topic we could go on forever. Because when I lived in Brazil, Sean, I, I lived in Brazil for two years serving a mission for my church. And down there, soccer's huge. Obviously, soccer's a big thing. But even basketball is pretty big. People don't talk about basketball in Brazil. It's actually massive. It's soccer, volleyball, and basketball, men, women, whatever. It's it's massive. And they would talk about it. When I told Brazilians about how like the United States runs things, like you have to go to college first, and then you go here. Do you get paid to play in college? Like, it seems like it's pretty big. No, you don't get paid to play in college. Yeah. Like, and they're like, wait, what? Like, they didn't understand the concept. I'm like, yeah, dude, we're we're a little bit different here. And I don't, I don't know. As I've gotten older, I've realized, like, yeah, there's, in my opinion, better ways to do things. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Sean, as you went overseas, like, at, you finish up, you know, your physiotherapy school, like you're doing that. Yep. What was your first year playing professionally like um, in a different culture? overseas i kind of want to know about your first year and the transition there we talked about your transition to collegiate athletics what was your mm -hmm. transition like to professional athletics yeah so i played my first year in armenia i played with gene campbell as we were talking about earlier so that was a cool experience man like different country it was technically in asia mm -hmm. you know on the other side of turkey you know just below georgia and russia there so it was uh it was the furthest east i had been you know i hadn't been to asia at all before so just seeing uh you know different culture you know, farmer's markets on every corner, you know, like really, really fresh food that, you know, might necessarily see in North America, different language, you know, you, you start to, you know, the last few years have definitely been a lesson in terms of learning body language and learning tone of voice and just seeing all the different communication variables aside from the actual language, you try to figure out what's going on without understanding what the people are actually saying. But, uh, but I would say another thing that I learned for sure that I talked to a lot of guy, Canadian players too about is, is like, I think we take for granted how how good basketball is in in Canada. I'm not sure if the United States does the same thing, but I think in Canada, you know, if you're if you're an average college player on a lot of these teams, or say say you're a, a starter on a top ten team in Canadian university sport, it's like you're a professional caliber player in a lot of leagues overseas, you know. But it's just 
the import rules that might prevent you from getting one of those spots, you know, because a lot of these teams have, you know, one to five spots for an American or Canadian player. And you're competing with, you know, high level D1 players for these spots. And there's only so many to go around. Whereas, you know, you might be better than the local players in, in Armenia or Germany or France or Italy or whatever it is. And you might be good enough to play in the first league, you know, because you're just as good as the local players, but it's not those guys you're necessarily competing for spots for. So I think that's something that you learn pretty quick is like, you know, when I went overseas in Armenia, not a super high level professional league, but, uh, but, you know, I was doing really well and almost better than I thought. And I was like, because you, you almost anticipate, you know, you go from college and when you go to your first pro season, you, you anticipate maybe not doing as well in college because it's going to be a higher level. But sometimes that's not always the case. Like division one and high level U sports basketball is, is pretty high level basketball, even relative to a lot of professional leagues overseas. So that was something I learned. And then uh, just being away from home, like creating, you know, productive days and productive habits and feeling, you know, finding ways to fill your time. That was definitely a, a transition as well. And, and I'm thankful for social media, honestly, in some ways, I know it has its drawbacks, but uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a professional overseas basketball player, say like 20 years ago, where you're, I don't know, just calling people on the phone. Like now I can, I can still stay in touch and FaceTime like all my friends. So it's not really that bad, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of being able to maintain communication with people. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good that way. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point too. That's awesome. I mean, I connected with you over social media. Um, so I was like, dude, that, that I mean, that has some, some very positive sides to it as well. If, if utilized correctly, I, uh, wondered, how the the culture was you know being you have to be productive because we just talked about school load and all that stuff well now now you're just you're over there you're getting a paycheck to play and you're kind of that's what you do so i'm curious then sean if you have advice for people like what how do you make yourself productive because you're obviously not playing all day every day there are going to be times where you're locked and loaded in there but how do you go about making yourself productive throughout the day in a place where you're unfamiliar with yeah, so oh, great question. And I think it really depends on your team's schedule because some teams are going to you know, have much more intense schedules than others, depending on where you're at and the, the league you're in. So some teams will, some teams might have two practices a day, whether that's, you know, just shooting in the morning and then a live practice at night and then maybe weights too another time. Other teams, you might just have one practice a day or even some teams, maybe only two or three practices a week and you just play once a week, things like that. So kind of depends on your team's schedule. But uh I mean, for me, it was, I always had uh, my physiotherapy business on, online that I was working on. So, you know, when I graduated from, from Ottawa U or basically when I tore my ACL, my friend Emmanuel Quofi convinced me to get Instagram because uh, I wasn't a huge social media advocate at the time. I just kind of thought it was a distraction and I still do, but uh, he convinced me that it'd be a good business move to, to get Instagram and just post about my ACL rehab. And I've kind of taken that and and turned it into a bit of a physiotherapy business for myself on the internet, which is something that I, I personally put my time and effort into that for the most part when I'm overseas is, is, you know, creating content or, or trying to learn more about physiotherapy through podcasts. I think podcasts have, have been a huge blessing for me and one of my main sources of learning. And there's so many good ones out there where, you know, you can listen to them, whether you're working out or just walking to the gym or whatever it is. So really grateful for, for podcasts out there and, and, and yeah, just the internet in general, because it's a great learning resource. But at the same time, it's, it's really easy to just waste your time on social media. Like you see kids doing that these days, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok. So that'd be my one kind of cautionary uh, piece of advice would be like, 
actually establish a goal that you're trying to achieve and don't just waste your time on the internet because that's how those things are designed for to get our brains addicted to them and and you and you could easily just end up on that thing for hours and not get anything done so you know being able to establish some relationships with your teammates as well is awesome um you know because you don't necessarily you might you might be just living on your own like here for example i have a solo apartment so it's easy to spend a lot of time on your own but it's nice to to go out and you know create friendships whether it's with your teammates or other people in the city and get to know the culture and, and see different things while you're out there. Cause it, you know, if you're across the world, it's great to great to experience some things while you have the chance. That's so cool, man. It's cool that you're running that um, the business side of things. Like that's huge. You have a goal and you're, you're going towards it. And I'm, I'm huge into that. Like my full-time work, I work with entrepreneurs all day long. We teach them how to build their businesses on utilizing the certain software that we use. It's called click funnels. And so <clears throat> we, we work with tons of entrepreneurs. So I'm huge about that. Like mm-hmm. if you have a business online, like there's a way to scale that and I help people do that all the time. And I think it's so, so cool. I'm inspired by that on the basketball front, Sean, what has been your favorite memory thus far playing professionally? Um, I'm sure there's been different little stadiums. Cause I've seen, you know, when I talk to hoopers, sometimes they'll play in a stadium that has like 20 people. You know, and sometimes we'll play in stadiums that have five, 10,000 people. So like there's just different atmospheres, environments in whatever cities that they might be playing in. Um, but they've all talked about how unique those are. They're like, yeah, I had more people in my high school arena than I did in a professional arena sometimes. But they're like, it's also been really cool that way because you can hear all the intricacies of the game, like the sneakers, you know, scraping on the court and stuff like that. They're like, it's all it's all been a really cool experience. So I'm just curious, do you have any like uh, a favorite memories thus far in your professional career? Um, so a couple come to mind. One would be the, the all-star game in Armenia my first year. That was a lot of fun. Um, getting to, I actually got to compete in a three-point contest and I won the three-point contest. So that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, actually just competing in the game itself with, you know, a lot of the, there was a team world versus the team USA. So, cause I was from Canada, I was on team world and got to play with the Armenians as well as some of the other imports who are from Asia or Africa, for example. So that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, one particular game in Germany last year where there was a big crowd and we ended up going to overtime and losing the game. And there was some outrageous calls towards the end of the game. Not that I was necessarily involved in in particular, but it was just, I had never seen anything like it. And uh, the fact that there was, you know, a huge crowd there and, and everything uh, kind of just added to it. So those, those are my two, those are the two memories that kind of stick out the most to me for sure. That's so cool. Have you ever, like, you know, Nikola, uh, Nikola Jokic was talking about how he's like, man, I've played in this place and this place. This doesn't scare me. And they've shown like, they've shown clips of when he was playing in his hometown and like the crowd was going nuts. Cause they're like, it's like a soccer feel where he's from. And they just like, I mean, they're waving flags and the have you had any experiences like that where like the crowd's just nuts? Yeah. So actually <laughs> one funny story from Armenia. So one of my teammates, um, we're warming up or we had, we had, uh, we're watching the game. And, uh, so there's a little, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but a little kind of border along the sideline that chain that has ads on it. And it, it changes the ads, you know, every once in a while to show different businesses and things like that. And it's probably about up to your knees and it, and it's connected across the whole sideline. And one of the balls comes over the ad to one of my teammates who's sitting courtside and, and he throws it back to, to one of the Armenians who's on the court, you know? And, and I didn't see this happen, but I, I don't know if, if he threw it too hard or, or he wasn't ready to catch it or whatever. So this Armenian guy walks over and, and confronts my teammate. And uh, my teammate was, was from Chicago. So he wasn't really, uh, 
taking any shit from anybody. So he, uh, I just remember he, he grabbed this guy by the Jersey and threw him back over the ad and knocks all the ads over. Cause they're all connected. Right. So the whole thing just kind of falls. And then probably within 10 seconds, there's just a brawl that breaks out and it becomes like a lot of the, the North Americans versus some of the Armenians who are there watching and chairs are getting thrown. People are getting hit with chairs. Punches are getting thrown. I just remember it went zero to a hundred so quick. And, uh, that's definitely one of the crazier things that that sticks out in my mind. Um, and then the other thing too is is in uh, even in Bulgaria and Armenia is honestly not too far from Bulgaria either. Like we got our we got Bulgaria, Turkey, and then Armenia is right on the other side of Turkey. And uh, people people just smoke in the gym or in restaurants here, which is something that you don't see in uh, in North America, but you'll see it in Eastern Europe. So that's something too that kind of sticks out to me. Is sometimes you'll be playing, you'll look over it, and someone's just hacking a dart in the stands or something like that. So that's not something I experienced in Canada at all, you know. But I always found that pretty amusing. That's. I mean, it's like, I don't even know how that's allowed in a physical activity. You know what I mean? It's all like, it's like, dude, we're trying to compete at a high level physically and we're got smoking over here. Like, that's funny, dude. Oh man. Yeah. That's, those are great stories. You know, Sean, you mentioned listening to podcasts. I'm curious, do you have a podcast that you do? Um, or is there any that you specifically re- like recommend for people into the physiotherapy business? Cause you say that's what you listen to mm-hmm. kind of help yeah. you out. Like I'm curious. Mm-hmm. No. So I don't have a podcast at the moment, but it's something that I've been, uh, been, you know, meaning to start up eventually. I'm not sure if I'll get to it uh, while I'm overseas or maybe when I'm back in Canada, but it's going to be the fixed physio show. So stay tuned. It's only a matter of time, but uh, yeah, a lot of good ones that I'm a big fan of. So one guy named Perry Nicholson, he has a podcast called stop chasing pain. He's a chiropractor based in, uh, in, in the United States. And he's got a lot of good stuff specifically on the lymphatic system. Um, big fan of the PJF podcast, you know, the, NBA trainer there. He's got a lot of good stuff. He's James Harden's trainer and he works with a lot of different NBA guys and he's got a lot of good stuff when it comes to, to basketball itself. Um, honestly, man, I listened to a bunch. I'm just trying to think of which ones would be most relevant. The healthy rebellion radio is another one by Rob Wolf. And, and some of these are, are more nuanced health podcasts that I'm interested in. Um, so these are probably more tailored to healthcare professionals and things like that. Maybe not necessarily your, your, your professional basketball player, but big fan of that one, big fan of Joe Rogan and different guests that he has on his podcast relating to health and fitness. Um, yeah, those would be the, the first few that come to mind. I'd say. Super cool, man. No, that's awesome. I, I think that's uh, for anyone listening, including myself, I'm going to check them out too. I love podcasts myself. Mm. And Hey, if you ever need help with a, with a podcast, anything, any questions, like, you know, a guy now, so like I can always help you. I'm sure you got t- plenty of contacts that can help you with a podcast, but if you ever need help with anything or advice, like I'm happy to share what I know um, and help yeah. you out with that too. Cause I think it's cool. I think you have a lot of knowledge to share in that space. And just the simple fact of like, dude, if you have a phone and you're walking to practice one day and you record a 10 minute little audio clip, like that's a podcast, boom, boom. And you po- right. post it and it's good. So I don't know. I think there could be some cool things that you could do with it, but yeah, um, man, maybe I'll, I'll take you up on that. I'm just saying like, I would listen to it. I think that's sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's next for, for you, Sean, uh, the next, you know, you're obviously at the beginning of this interview, you talked about you're doing strength training for this organization with all, yep. all the guys, like all the, the clubs within that organization and you're playing. So if you could like, go, oh, I guess what's next, I want to just see what's next for you. Are you just going to complete the season? Yeah, you have goals for like how long you want to continue to play? Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's the plan? Yeah. So something I haven't mentioned so far is, uh, had a family or I do currently, I guess still have a family history of, 
ancestors who played professional sports in Ottawa. So as I mentioned, my dad played for the Ottawa Rough Riders football team in the 80s. My mom's dad played for the Ottawa Rough Riders in the 30s when they were, it was a mix of kind of American football as we know it in rugby. And then his father played for the Ottawa Senators on the original Ottawa Senators team called the Ottawa Silver Seven in, uh, you know, around 1904, 1905, that kind of. So I have three generations of, of family on both sides that had played pro sports in Ottawa. So, you know, growing up, it was always my goal just, you know, to be a professional athlete, to kind of keep that tradition alive. And then this past summer, I was able to sign a contract with the Ottawa Blackjacks, as I mentioned, um, the professional basketball team in Ottawa. So I was able to, uh, to keep that streak alive as far as I'm concerned, you know, where I was able to add a fourth generation to my family of, of pro sports in Ottawa. So that was pretty special to me. And to me, that was, that was really the biggest thing that was on my mind for, for like, I don't know, several years. Like when I was, when I was a kid, when I was, when I was 10 years old, I got to go on the ice or maybe I was 11. Cause as I mentioned, my, uh, my great grandfather played for the Sens and they won a Stanley cup in 1904. So in 2004, uh, I guess I would have been 11 years old. I got to go on the ice and kind of pose for a picture with the old, old kind of picture of the Stanley cup winning team. It was a hundred year anniversary. And you know, when you're 10 or 11, you don't think much about it. You're like, Hey, whatever. Um, but then when I went to the CFL combine, you know, there was, uh, you know, I did edit interviews and there was articles about me in the Ottawa paper about, you know, maybe making the CFL and keeping that tradition alive in my family. And that was, that was in 2015. So that was eight years ago. And Ever since then, it's definitely been on my mind where I was like, man, that'd be cool, you know, to uh, to keep that streak alive. And we didn't even have a basketball team in Ottawa at the time. So the universe has conspired for me to, to help me get that <laughs> done for sure. But uh, but that was definitely something that was on my mind. And that was definitely, you know, one of my main driving forces was was just to keep that tradition alive in terms of a just being a pro athlete and then more recently playing in Ottawa. So, um, you know, super happy happy to have signed that contract in the summer and, and get that done. And that kind of gives me a lot of peace of mind where like, I'm not, I'm not too concerned with, with pushing my professional basketball career at this point. I'm kind of taking that as the transition now where I'm focusing a little bit more on the, on the professional side of things with, with my physiotherapy and strength conditioning stuff. So, you know, planning on playing this year in Bulgaria, but uh, not super concerned with necessarily how it goes or my stats or anything like that. I'm just doing it because I really enjoy it. And, uh, and going forward, my focus is definitely going to be on, you know, helping people learn how to heal themselves and heal from their injuries. And, uh, yeah, just being the best physical therapist and, and strength coach that I can. Heck yeah, man. I'm stoked to hear that, that you were able to accomplish your goal too. That's freaking cool. Like you said, they conspired together. It, it happened to where you can make it work in the sport of basketball specifically. That's pretty cool, man. So, Sean, tell us where we can follow you, man, so we can put your, your links in the description. You know, you've got an Instagram page. Can you talk to us about the, the handle there? And is there any websites or anything else that we can put in here for you? Yeah, man. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Fixed Physio. So I am the Fixed Physio because I've had both of my legs fixed by orthopedic surgeons. And uh, I have a website as well, thefixedphysio.com, where you can check me out there. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, anyone who has you know questions or maybe you know has a, an injury or a goal that they're trying to uh, accomplish, I'm always happy to help. So yeah, you can find me either on Instagram or uh, on my website. Heck yeah, we'll put that here in the description. So anyone who is listening who is interested, I'm sure there's going to be. You guys can click there and and go uh, follow Sean on his journey. It's it's super super cool. So 
I just want to say thanks, man, for joining us and being willing to share your story with me, man. I'm, I'm going to be in contact with you after this for sure, because I think what you're doing is super awesome. And for those who are listening, I hope you guys enjoyed it again. I'll just, re I'll recommend that. Hey, leave us a review on Apple podcast. Let us know what you liked about Sean's interview and his story. And uh, as always, we'll be coming to you guys next week with another interview. So take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.